Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of Corico's very own property podcast. My name is Andrew Montlake, you can call me Monty, and I shall be your host to guide you through and investigate the very latest in the world of mortgages, property and the general financial world. So here we are again in a bright, shiny new year full of hope and expectation after what was a pretty tough 2017. Unfortunately, it looks like our political elite, if you can call them that, seem to be carrying on in much the same vein as last year. There are the usual arguments over Brexit, with calls for a second referendum not going away, and after a particularly botched cabinet reshuffle, we get, yes, you guessed it, another new housing minister. There's been some positive economic news with GDP looking like it will be higher than expected as weak sterling helps to drive the highest factory growth for seven years, while the mortgage market itself has started in competitive fashion with lenders cutting rates and keen to get a good start to the year. There is much to discuss, so I shall dispense with the preamble and welcome my guests who can help us make some sense of the current landscape. I'm again delighted to welcome back my LBC Property Hour partner in crime, Ed Mead, a leading property expert and founder of Viewber, a new platform that provides the property industry with a national outsourced viewing service. Hello again, Ed. Hello, Mont. And I'm honoured to have with him Matt Lowndes, <coughs> who is Corico's very own MD and a leading light in the industry where technology is concerned, it says here, Matt. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Monty. <laughs> So I thought we'd start, uh, well, there's various topics and questions today, which some people have asked on Twitter and email, uh, as well as looking at the current press. But I'm going to start with something pretty traditional at the start of any new year, 2018, property. How do you see it shaping up? Will we see any house price growth or increases in transactions? Are you pretty positive for this year, Ed? Well, one of the things that's making me a little bit more positive about the year is uh, stock levels. Traditionally... Uh, there are something like 10 months worth of there is about 10 months worth of stock available on the market. So in other words, if no supply came to the market within 10 months, we'd be sold out. Yeah. And um, some of the figures coming out from the ONS and other people are showing that the current stock levels are about half that. Mm. Now, if that's the case, then yeah. clearly, if you've got a similar demand, which there seems to be, and you guys will be in a good position to determine demand to some extent, because obviously, if mortgage applications suddenly go through the floor, then there's something wrong. Yeah. But traditionally, if you have fewer properties or less supply and uh, the same number of people looking, then that bodes quite well for prices. But you alluded to the political bit um, in terms of the appetite to build more, um, make more houses available, somehow give a boost to, to building rather than the demand side, which is what's happened traditionally with mm. our political in inverted commas masters. So I think that uh, that's going to be a very exciting part of this year really um, I think people perhaps last year recognised that in London and the South East prices really went into reverse somewhat um, and outside London um, I think the BBC released some figures yesterday showing that in 58% of boroughs or 58% of wards mm. in, in um, London in England and Wales prices were actually lower now in real terms than they were in 2007 so there's, there's quite a lot there to be reasonably optimistic about that's good. Matt, I know you've been having some discussions with estate agents early, early doors. What's been the, what's been the feeling from them? Uh, I, I'd reiterate what Ed said, actually. Um, I was told they, they're anticipating stock shortages and, um, and they're expecting it to be... Uh, so they, they foresee that, obviously, if we're talking about London, that London's probably been a bit of a trough for two years. Um, 
probably none of it actually not all of it was to do with George Osborne's um uh tax changes etc yeah but they 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 do foresee that um that, that it's it looks to be more buoyant than it's previously been before because obviously we've seen zones 1 2 and 3 pretty much uh Oh, not decimated, but certainly, certainly been a bit of an issue trying mm. to to shift them, and 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 uh, we've had that donut effect around London, haven't we? Where it's, yeah. Uh, so I think there's some serious value from the stuff that I've seen, where areas that previously, say Fulham, was you know pretty was viewed as expensive, and then places out east have sort of caught them up, and now actually there's probably value back in in some more traditional areas that that. There's, there's, there seems to be some value. So that's. I think it's fun. also true to say that if you're not in lettings at the moment, you're probably not doing. As well, it's back to where the way it was. Yeah. Not obviously in, from the financial crisis point of view, but when sales slow down a little bit, people come to rely on lettings, and the, mm. the two markets are often counter-cyclical. So agents sometimes can rely on their management and and lettings portfolios mm. to keep you know to see them through lean times. So if you don't have any lettings portfolio, I think you're going to be in a bit of trouble at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems that um, that uh, well, Right Move has said that asking prices are up by two thousand pounds. There you go, two thousand's not much, um, but the sales are down five and a half percent. Are sellers way too over optimistic about their pricing at the moment? You're still having that. I'm sensing that we're still getting well, that I disconnect. Never, do you know what? I never understand what these figures mean. If you look at the average Right Move, <laughs> if you look at the average Right Move asking price, that's what I'm asking you. Ed. Well, it's twenty five percent higher than the average sale price. <laughs> yeah. I don't see how that works. Well, you can ask as much as you want, can't yeah, you? Exactly. Well, you can, but I don't <laughs> think that's the case. Yeah. Most people don't do that. So one of them takes a base which is a bit weird. I mean, I think the right moves um, sample is probably huge. Um, so the average asking price, I think, is likely to be all right. And these days, right move do make sure they quote an average asking price, yeah. not a real sale yeah. price. I've been a little bit suspicious of some of the ONS stats and how they do their hedonic valuations and everything else uh, for some time. But uh, something something there has got to give a little bit. But nevertheless, that gap is widening. So perhaps expectations and reality are are going in the wrong direction for people. Yeah, we still we still get that a lot from clients uh, in terms of when they're when they're trying to buy and uh, Sometimes valuation comes back and it's downvalued a little. Well, bit. that's actually a pretty that's, good guide for for most people to hear what you guys hear from from your customers. All yeah. the mortgage companies downvalued. You know, t- traditionally yeah. when the market's not great, um, surveyors who are the ones you sue or the the lenders yeah. Yeah. sue if there's yeah, a problem, the lenders, yeah. they get very very tight about that's what right. they want to say yeah. on valuation. So they will tend to downvalue when the yeah. market's flying away. They can be a little bit more a little bit more yeah. laissez faire. We've had some punchy down down vowels at the higher. At the higher values, at the higher level, I've not, I've yeah. not really, I've not really seen, I've not really seen anything, uh, you know, which you would class as a, what's the, the average London house price is what half a million, but half I've, a not, million, I've not really seen anything around that kind of level, but certainly above a million, we've seen some, yeah, we've well, seen some issues. So, so that's which, that's which, 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 which would, uh, you know, uh, I guess agree with what we just said. So it's counterbalancing that market, and uh, yeah, and then maybe the donuts are easing off, and central will come back, which is, which is what which is what yeah. we're starting to see in certain areas. So at some point, exactly as you just said, Matt, at some point there'll be value back in the centre. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and just moving on, we touched with estate agents um, and how they're doing. Do you think this is the year that online estate agents will really make an even bigger breakthrough? And uh, how can estate agents at the moment well, really make their money? I mean, I think it's... I think the big thing, first of all, let's deal with the online thing. I mean, the online estate agents, I think, are now up to 6% of the market. And I think that's about... A percentage point up on where it was right. maybe a year ago so it's a 20 percent gain some would say it's a little bit more than that um <clears throat> but the issue of how agents make money is is definitely there to be mined with technology 
Um, as you guys well know, because some of your customers come from the estate agents, and yep. the estate agents are up front about talking about referral fees and this mm. sort of thing, they're, traditionally estate agents are very, very poor at giving referrals. And they're very poor at, at getting money from their um, from the transactional process. And I think that some of the platforms that are coming through, companies like uh, OneDome, who are who provide a very good end-to-end solution for estate agents from a communication and conveyancing and mortgage mm-hmm. um, perspective, they or introducing people on a in a transactional uh, process, they enable estate agents who previously perhaps, and this is normally the smaller estate agents, not the corporate ones, but it enables all of it enables the smaller agents who use the platform to get a kickback, you know, to get yeah. a referral fee. Yeah. And there's a big uh, concern, I think, amongst uh, some people in the industry that the government's next target in terms of the estate agency profession is going to be um, referral fees yeah. and whether they should still be it's paid. It's certainly been something yeah. that's mooted. So I think, the, frankly, if people want to make more... Our, that will cheer up our finance director. <laughs> well, you know, I, nothing will cheer up our finance director. <laughs> but I think it is a big issue, and I don't think there's anything wrong as long as it's declared up front. No, I mean, um, the, the people we work with always declare it's very, very... You know, yeah. the, the client's almost cite saying, that I'm very happy to be, to be referred over because, obviously, we work... On an independent basis, obviously we work with people as 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 a you know a specialist provider to them rather than being an in-house brokerage. So, um, you know, we don't get any of the you have to talk to my broker or I'm not accepting your. No, no I think people are really tired. So, yeah, yeah. So we, so we, so you know, yeah. that's that. Quite frankly, that's immoral and it shouldn't happen. And uh, so, you know, I think it's very clear when they come out to us, we're an independent company and we won't pass yeah. information back. So yeah, it'd but be there are other bits goes. of the process. You know, things like thing, things like the conveyancing process yeah. as well. You know, the 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 legal bit of the process. Agents can make recommendations and get referrals. Mm. Um, I mean, I think that the 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 issue is if you're going to get a lack of stock. There are still an awful lot of agents out there. Um, it's not like 2007, 2008, 2009, when a lot of people went to the wall. There are still a lot of people out there surviving and indeed uh, multiplying. There are more yeah. and more. And, and they've got the extra competition of an increased online sector. Mm. Um, I mean, I think they need to be looking at their bottom lines. I mean, dare, dare I suggest something like what we're doing at Viewber, where we people can turn a fixed cost of having an, an extra negotiator going out doing viewings, turn it into a variable cost. That's the type of thing that I think agents are going to have to more and more look mm. at to to uh, boost their bottom line. And how's Viewber going for you? Well, strength the interest to strength. It, 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 okay. I mean, it is. It's 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 growing at about twenty five percent a month, which is which wow. is nothing short of staggering. But <laughs> what's really happening is that the the mainline high street agents are suddenly discovering that the dead part of their week, which is Sundays, Saturdays, a lot of agents now try and service. Yeah. But most people tend to work five or six day, even six day weeks these days. The only day they get to go and look at things is on a Sunday. And if you've ever tried to ring up an estate agent to see something on a Sunday, it's impossible. (laughs) So we've got some customers whose return on investment by emailing their database of tenants and buyers to say, right, we're ready to service you on a Sunday is enormous. Their ROI, they're suddenly finding they're spending a few hundred quid a week on getting these extra viewings done, but they're yielding thousands. Mm. So it's it's a spectacular change for a lot of the high street who finally are beginning to get some brand recognition on Viewer, and they're beginning to think, well, actually, this is something we can use. And I'm now going all over the country seeing some quite big agency groups who perhaps wouldn't necessarily have thought of it before who are suddenly thinking, hang on a minute, there's this 14, 15% of the week on a Sunday that we're not using. Why don't we use it? So... Yeah, big change. It's good. Digital disruption is, uh, is, is here to, well, I'm is here not, to stay. I, I think the word disruption sometimes can be a little bit of a turn-off for some agents. I prefer the word digital collaboration. 
I think is a better word for Digital collaboration. I like I mean, that. It sounds like a more digital Depeche Mode album or something. Yeah, it does. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm old enough to remember who <laughs> but, they are. But, I mean, it, it, whatever you phrase, I mean, it is it is it is adjusting the status quo of what's always been done, and that, and that's I guess is just the norm for for a, for society that that is adapting to digital. Yeah, digital, well, it is. But can means. I ask you? Can I ask you, Matt? Because obviously, one of the things we're talking about here is mortgages as well as yeah. property, and obviously, the digital disruption certainly the online agents would be considered to be disruptors yeah um obviously you've got habitat trust or people like that who are trying to disrupt your space but i think have come up against the blocks a little bit because they realize they need a human you've got to turn right or left and talk to a human at some point in the process how is that developing that entire sort of technical front to back Uh, i think from from so so from our point of view um I guess we're, we, we would be classed as a traditional mortgage broker trying to take the leap into digital into the digital world. And I guess these are digital brands that are trying to take a step back into our sector. So you're almost meeting in the middle. So I think they've learned that there, there needs to be a human in it. I think the whole algorithm thing is uh, yeah, it might work when you're sort of doing certain other aspects of buying shopping on Amazon, etc. I'm not sure it works for a mortgage. I think you still it's a massive transaction. But in terms of technology advancements, I think this is the year where we finally crack the fact that as mortgage brokers, um, being able to provide an end-to-end service to a client whereby we collect the data once and don't have to rekey it anywhere, we might finally hit the uh, the utopian vision that I've been dreaming of for about 15 years. So it will mean that um, Coroco can send out a, a link to a client. They'll be able to fill out their... Uh, fill out their information if they've already dealt with this we can just update their information and then we should be able to collect it we should be able to then actually pass it on to the lender without using apis which you know you and i both know that's not um technology that's like uh you know some something radical technology that's just appeared but from a from a banking p- perspective it, it's it's huge that the banks are, are, are pretty close to uh to allowing us to do that to interact i guess there is this move with open banking to force them to be to adopt a 21st century thing so i think it's going to be a really big year in our in our sector and i think that brokers that don't embrace technology to service their clients will get left behind well, so I, think, I, so I think there's a real parallel with that in the <clears throat> in the agency business. So, well. so, you know, if you try and there will always be a place for someone that just wants to do it the old fashioned way. There always is. Right. There's always the man that wants to use a lathe rather than a robot to do something, whatever. Right. But, it, but I think if you're if you're trying to service lots of people, which is what we do. Uh, and if we need to expand out of our London boundaries, which is what we want to do, then we will have to embrace the technology because I think that's what people are crying out for. It's really interesting to see the way that, that Habitone Trussell started out with their advertising. It was all, this is all tech, this is all online, you never have to speak to anyone. And if you look at the way that their advertising has evolved now, it's all man and machine in, in perfect, perfect harmony. harmony yeah. It's very much, actually, we do have a human being at the centre of the transaction. So yeah. it's very important to get that balance. No, I've, I, I've, always, I've always seen this as a, as a massively uh, exciting time. Uh, nothing to be worried about. Um, I guess that's because I guess I've got a background in technology, but it's, it's something that I, I've been crying out for and i think you know when, when you do meet people that don't uh don't embrace it you just do think they i can't believe there are but, some dinosaurs but don't forget, left you're quite lucky because you guys have developed over the years and you're a successful outfit with with a decent book that you write but in the same way uh, that you guys have and i know you've spent a fair bit of money on your technology and, and trying to get it right or trying to develop something which works don't forget that the problem estate agents have is that 80% of estate agents are these one-office operations. Mm, yeah, that's true. For them, developing technology is really tough. And they've mm. currently got a whole smorgasbord of staff, tech, that they can go and pick if they want to. But they get it wrong, 
and it, they'll which go is, bust. Which yeah. is why yeah, they need to be, you know, in our sector, that would be you go and find a network that's got the technology that's right, that's, that's building the right relationships. Um, you know, there are technology providers like 27 Tech are one of them who will, they're building all the integrations with the lenders and then we don't have to worry about it. You know, I don't want to have to go and build 58 different integrations with lenders. You know, No, that's fine. But, so, that, but where's your competitive edge in that case? If everyone goes onto the same network... It's going to come down to service ed and, and in the same way as... Any, I mean, yeah. somebody else could go and do view belt. It's going to come down to how can... So let's go back to my... I think it has to come down to how you're going to service these clients. Yeah. So... Can you service people? I think we're not going to be judged by a broker against another broker. We're going to be judged by, hang on, when I'm using Amazon, I know exactly where my parcel is and what's happening. So we're demanding of our conveyances. We need to know what's happening in that process because ultimately the estate agent is relying upon the broker to let them know what's going on. The client's relying on the broker to let us know going on. We're having to chase down all the different parties. That's our job. The ones that are differentiate are the ones that are going to give a holistic solution to a client that in, at any time, so Sundays, if they want to log on to their system, they know what the last update yeah, does and what's happening. And I think that, yeah. is, that, is, that, is, that is what's going to happen rather than this, oh, I've got to wait till Monday morning to phone up my mortgage broker yep. to find out what's going on. That, that, is, that yep. is not going to be the way yep. forward. Mm. And conveyancing, you just mentioned there, Matt, that, that's part of the one of the biggest issues we know that our uh, sales support guys and girls have in terms of actually getting anything out of, especially when there's free legals involved. I, I know you've, you've um, well, we both uh, looked around at the, the various options. Do you think there's there's something there in terms of the online digital conveyances? Are they, are they close to delivering what, what our clients and us demand? Well, we've seen a real smorgasbord haven't we? <laughs> yeah. of, of, uh, of that's of, the word of the day of, of, yeah. of, of solutions uh we've we've seen a couple of people in the last couple of weeks who have something that looks incredibly exciting so uh if we can integrate that into our own platform client can log in they can you know they can track their own application then i think it will mean that we don't have this bluff that we hear you know my solicitor hasn't spoken to that solicitor mm. or the estate agent doesn't know what's going on it's causing chain issues i mean look the holy grail would be that we have some kind of blockchain underpinning all of this stuff and we collect the information once and you know that solicitor over there it's who's dealing with the yeah. vendor is yeah. is then liaising with the one who's the, you know and you're getting this this lovely joined up but you do need to understand transfer. though that in terms of the legal profession obviously the conveyancing sort of bit of the food chain is is towards the bottom it tends to be a stack em high sell em cheap Regime, it absolutely is, and and and, problem. but I think within that we've definitely seen some firms who are have embraced that and then have used technology to the advantage. Yeah. And, I, and and I think you're you're absolutely right. Um, but you know, hanging on a phone for forty seven minutes trying to get a phone answer and then they yeah. hang up is is not the way forward. But the people that are embracing their technology well, I'm to get that to hear answer. what you think. I did a round table the other day, which was hosted by the UK Prop Tech Association, which the DCLG were doing as part of their con- consultation, yeah. um, and it was full of conveyances all of whom were um, really keen to see things change. But, you know, they're they're quite dyed in the wool. So I think changing it's going to be a tough one. And um, just picking up on open banking, that sort of come in, well, it came in Saturday, wasn't can it? You, last, can you tell me what open week? banking is? Well, that's, <laughs> I'm hoping I can know I someone you, I'll give you a can. Pr- I'll get, sorry. Uh, is, is, it, is it actually going to really change the game? Not sort at the of, moment. Yeah. Why? Because uh, half the banks have, have got a dispensation not mm. to actually open up their systems. So essentially, Ed, what it means is that I, trend, I I have my bank accounts with First Direct, Nationwide, Joint Account for the Mortgage, blah, 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 blah. That data is no longer the ownership of the bank. It's my data. And if I want to share that data with 
any other third party application or party it is my desire to do so so the banks have to open up an api in order for it's basically trying to create choice so if i want to flick from one bank account to another i should be able to do it if you're creating a platform where you're seeing that actually the overdraft rate i'm being charged over here is mark for expensive switch, switch, switch it it's like quickly switching it, it's it's to make sure that you're a bit more financially literate because you know i don't i don't know how many bank accounts everybody's got around this table but I use an app called Yolt, which is by ING. I put all the different bank accounts I've got, my credit cards, my loans, my savings accounts, mortgages, everything. And I can just press my thumb on it and it will go and connect to those banks and bring back yeah, well, all my data really to myself. Useful. That sounds useful. And now that, for me, gives you power. I used to run a spreadsheet. That was a pain in the backside. So actually, from my point of view, that's really useful. So I guess from financial education, that'd be pretty good to know where you are, where you're at, where your savings are, where your overdrafts are. It, also, these apps are really clever in the fact that they analyze your spending. So from a mortgage perspective, instead of us having to trawl through three months bank statements we could hopefully use one of these apps and then say well they spend this much on uh you know travel they spend this much in the pub they spend this much on betting and it's all there it's all true and once the banks accept that that's come from one person to another and and the data hasn't middled i think that will that will really enhance play around with printing three months bank statements and and, stamping and and counting does it include your account in the cayman islands uh, yes, well, I haven't got an account again. So it anal- <laughs> I've got a shell in the Cayman Islands. <laughs> so analyse your spending. What did, what did it tell you about your spending? It says I spend far too much in the pub. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I could have no, told you that, right. yeah, I, mean, I don't need an app to tell me that. You know, if an algorithm could just pick up those details and punch it straight through. It but it's clever that, because the, the, the Yolt app now is obviously, what it's trying to do is it's saying you spend X amount on um, energy should you be trying to go to another energy supplier. So actually, in terms of what the government are trying to do and the, and the EU regulations that came in to try and to try and change it, you know, this directive that came in, it's it's supposed to take, that the individual's more responsible for their own data yeah. than, than the companies that they had their accounts with. But there's a massive nervousness around it in terms of fraud and the, and the potential for for it to be hacked and fraud i mean we you know you mentioned it in the monday morning meeting and someone in our office piped up straight away that's um that's just a, a prelude to fraud isn't it is that a massive worry with with that look it's data if you don't have secure passwords i've got a quick, you know i've got to do a presentation this week to our to our guys if you don't have quality passwords if you use password one two three if you're not actually sensible about that stuff right then 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 you're opening yourself as your own fault so you know absolutely you don't have to i mean you could keep your money under a bed you know in a a box so you don't have to you don't have to have all your movements tracked but you know ultimately we are now a digital digital world go and buy some bitcoins and then nobody will know who you are actually talking of putting money under your bed inflation has fallen again but it was it was quite interesting to see that I think I saw some figures the other day that showed that the average house price, or if you if you bought a house for a hundred thousand in two thousand and seven, it'd be worth one hundred and thirty now. So that just shows what inflation's done over that over that ten year period. I remember when I was young, which is quite a long time ago now. People always used to say the value of your money should double every seven years. Yeah. That was the sort of, and clearly that's this no, new that's paradigm. Not, that's thirty percent in ten years for houses. Yeah. So. You know, people talk about house prices running away, um, but inflation is relatively. Well, the problem low is that wages are just so stagnant that they just not. Yeah, no, of course, of course, and, yeah, of and course. That's, that, that's the big problem, isn't it? That yeah. yes, I mean, houses are expensive compared to what you're earning. If your salary had gone up as it should have done, then 
they'd probably be on a par with where they've always been. But yeah. Yeah. I suppose that's been um, that's been counteracted to some extent by the fact that interest rates are so low. So yeah. at some point there's going to be a nasty moment, isn't there? I think there will be, but um, I think the Bank of England are, uh, they're being very careful about it. They reckon yeah. what there'll be another quarter point rise this year, possibly maybe a quarter point next year. That's uh, that's what Carney's forward guidance is is saying. Well, let's hope his hand doesn't get forced sooner by something. Really. Yeah, possibly. I mean, the, the fact that inflation has dipped a little bit this week is, uh, is encouraging. Yeah. And that will help. That will stave off some of the pressure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, mortgage rates are incredible still. I mean, at the start of this year, a lot of lenders have come out firing on all cylinders. You can still get, you know, two-year fixes at 1.19%, five-year fixes at one74 and even buy-to-let rates are ridiculous now. Well, 299 looks a bit high, yeah. then. Yeah, when I got you Thanks, that, that, I thought I thought that was a that was a fabulous rate, which it was. I mean, who who'd have ever thought? I know, of but the five year fixed below three. Yeah, the trouble is hindsight is such a difficult thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, I could always say, oh, I wish I hadn't sold that car, or I wish I hadn't sold that no, house, exactly. you know, and all that. You can yeah, you look back, it's not not useful sometimes. Um, so one of the encouraging things from last year, we've we've seen first time buyers sort of coming back. It's it, it's been something that that's been growing. Do you think the latest stamp duty change of axing it up to 300 grand will will make a big difference and should there be any more changes to the to the dreaded um tax um i mean i the answer is it has made a difference yes and it was intended to make a difference so you know there are less people going to buy to let and more people buying as first-time buyers which was what the intention was mm. but again we've talked about the the difficulty in encouraging demand without or yeah encouraging demand without increasing supply so all it does is stoke prices to some extent um but I don't see um, stamp duty changing. I mean, the trouble is, um, you know, the, the, the publicity out there at the moment is around council tax. Some Someone today on Twitter was accusing the Labour Party of saying they're going to double council tax. Right. And, of course, if you go to most countries in the world uh, or a lot of developed countries in the world, um, you pay for your properties by you, you pay your property tax as an annual tax. You pay sort of 0 0.1, 0 0.3, 1 of whatever the value of the property is. So there are lots of ways in which this can change. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is all that's really happened at the top end of the uh, property market is that simply the value of the stamp duty that's been put on has been taken off properties. So yeah. where there's been an extra 5%, 10%, that's been taken off values. So I don't really see anything changing. I, I think, think it's a transaction tax and I don't like it. And I would I would have some kind of capital gains tax when you sell your property. So if you mm. downsize, it doesn't matter. You know, you're, uh, my, my, I don't like what... I think it's really good that first-time buyers are into the market. I don't like the fact it's always by government subsidies or messing with the market. Yeah, yeah. You know, I th back in the day when I bought mine, it was really low or there was no, you know, I, I just think that the stamp duty, the government are trying to make up their tax deficiencies by, by getting it out of a... And you need transactional volume, and, and, and the transaction volume drives the fact that we all then go to Ikea, yeah, buy wardrobes, exactly. buy, I buy, buy yeah. goods. And we've got the wrong people living in the wrong houses. You look at all the yeah. data from LNG, and I just think we need to get people to... I think we need to get people turning those houses over again. We go back to, you know, if you only move twice in your life now, well, that's that's not actually that yeah. good. So, but I'd still come back to the fact, Matt. The majority of people transacted under the level where it's been where it's been changed radically. So, no, I agree. So it's only the people that 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 you guys might perhaps have written mortgages <coughs> for, and I might have sold. No, I think I think what we've seen, the, Ed, is the that, that the market that has flown over the last couple of years has been that sub nine hundred thousand market, and I think what we all we've had is this squeeze up. 
So you've almost had those coming off a bit and you've had this market squeeze up because of all these transacting low because yeah. you're right, you are better off. But actually, all you've created now is this, this, this many more houses at this rate. And, you know, is this sounds ridiculous. Is a million pounds for a family home in London. Is, you know, is, is that where you should be hammering people on, on stamp duty for? And then you've got people that don't want to downsize and they would want to sell their, you know, three bedroom house and not go into a flat because that's going to cost them nine hundred thousand pounds you know i i just it's just it's just it feels imbalanced that's a real to problem me. encouraging the last time movers to downsize that's that's we haven't that's built anything that, for them no. and they you know you don't, don't want to be no. shunt them to the middle no. of a field so and then you charge them stamp duty on that so i mean they should have a stamp duty that uh, there should be a dispensation yeah, totally for doing that last I totally agree. I, I agree. yeah yeah um we won't have anything though because the government are making too much money, their tax, their tax, <laughs> their inbound taxation off it's the yeah. highest it's ever been. So nothing and will change. Continuing to squeeze the middle. Yeah. Um, there's something that's interesting that uh, actually I haven't mentioned this to you before, Ed. So I, I noticed this in the press. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, so there's a landmark case going through the courts where leaseholds yeah, lease are concerned. Yeah, James White and Parthenia. Um, so they're challenging the established calculations on how much it costs to extend your lease or, or purchase a freehold and. I think some of the report I read it could mean that the costs of doing that could come down by about a third. Yeah, so, I mean, is there anything in that? Well, I know a lot of people in that industry, and I spent a lot of time um, selling short leases and and yeah. talking to people about what the value of the lease is. And I guess just because something's become accepted doesn't necessarily mean it's right. But there's been so much testing of this. And it's become so much part of the accepted norm that I, I have a suspicion that what James is doing is just trying to make a name for himself and make a lot right, of noise. Okay. But he's being very ably supported. There's a guy called um, Sebastian Kelly, who used to be the property editor of the Mail on Sunday, who now runs a company called an organisation called Leasehold Knowledge, which is a fantastic organisation for helping people who are because often the people who are the freeholders are quite big. You know, you've got the Grosvenor, mm. you've got mm. the Cadogan Estate, quite big uh, companies. Absolutely, very big. You know, it's quite difficult to act against people like yeah. that. And and often when this repetitive situations come up where someone's challenged their the cost for a lease extension, they will simply make people go back to square one and start again and pay all the costs when they could just say, well, this happened with the other one, so therefore we'll do this. They insist because the person who's trying to extend their lease has to pay all the costs, they try and make it as difficult as possible. And I think there's a lot of... In, there, there has been a lot of... Um, inequity, a lot of inequitable, unequitable behaviour mm. that, that's been going on on behalf of freeholders. But I'm for, unfortunately, I don't necessarily think that the um, the uh, formula that they've been using is wrong. As I said, I think Parthenia and James Wyatt have been a little bit... Um, they're trying to grab the headlines. I'd be delighted to be proved wrong mm. on behalf of the, the guys trying to extend their leases. Um, I think the case is due to be heard. Now, sort of, it, it's being heard about now. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's it'll be fascinating to see what happens. Definitely. That'll be one for another day. Another okay. Day. Well, we should keep an eye on that. I think. Um, I think we're drawing to a close. Any, anyone got anything else they want to throw in? Uh, give me some predictions for the year, Monty. <laughs> predictions. Yeah. What do you want? House price growth. I reckon. Premier League. Premier League. <laughs> Premier League. Uh, well, house price growth one percent. There you go. There's a prediction. Um, Base rate, quarter percent rise towards the end of the year. Controversial. There you go. That's controversial. Um, I think, uh, well, a lot depends on Brexit and the and the situation with that. Um, I still don't think Brexit will ever happen, personally. Yes, yeah, so I think house prices may be a bit more than you're saying, actually. I think they had a bit of a period of settling back. I think it's more mm. likely to be near a 5%. And the winner of the Premier League is going to be a um, club starting with an M. <laughs> <laughs> not Not Liverpool, then. 
Gutted about No, that. not going to be Liverpool. Gutted. But you think 2018 is the year for tech? I think 2018 is the year where it's the where the markets are most vulnerable and most ready to accept some kind of tech. I think there is a requirement and a realisation that sticking your head in the sand and thinking, nope, I'm fine, thanks very much. It's a good idea, but I'm fine. I think those days have gone. Now, I think you need to client service using technology. I don't think technology is the be-all and end-all. There's plenty of tech out there at the moment that is absolute garbage. So tech for tech's sake is not, not what we need. We need tech that actually improves what we're trying to do. Yeah. So, which is, totally I guess, what all of us around this table are trying yeah. to do. Yeah. So, Amen to that. Um, well, thank you very much. Thank you, Ed. Thank, thank you, you, Matt. Um, thank you, Monty. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next month with uh, with another session. Uh, any comments, requests for topics, any questions, feel free to contact us on Twitter at Corico or through our website at www.corico.co.uk. Until next time, thank you for listening.